0: We're going to take our final step in this series, Celebration of Difference, today, and we're going to be talking about uh, what it means to thrive inside of this, um, this celebration, this unity of diversity. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 22 says this, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Throughout the letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul um, is contending for a life lived by the Spirit. uh, And that, against, uh, over and against, a life lived in self-justification. So we tend to, we tend to get uh, Paul's metaphors mixed up, we tend to get them confused, and so Paul wants us to live a life by the Spirit, that is one of faith, versus living a life of the flesh, which is one of self-justification, that tries to uh, follow all the rules of the law so that God will love you, and that's not how that works, it's backwards. It's in light of his love that we would want to obey him, Right? And so, uh, Paul sets this stage for a life lived by the Spirit versus self-justification. And he calls the church to love one another as they love themselves. And this is a really interesting issue for a 21st century mind. And the reason why is because we are taught at every turn that the first thing that you have to do is learn to love yourself. But you know what the Bible already knows? What this culture does not teach us, which we are lied to about, you love you mighty fine. You want to know why you love you? The fact that you take care of you means you love you. The fact that you're even worried about loving yourself before loving others means you actually love you way too much. Now, listen, I'm not going to talk about this with regard to somebody who's been abused in their life or somebody who's been uh, hurt in many ways. Because in that, there is some recovery. There is some healing that needs to be done. But the Bible presupposes a very important idea. You and I love ourselves mighty fine, right? This is why, again, Paul would say and Jesus would say, you are to love others as you love yourself. They, they also receive a warning, though. Paul gives us this warning and he says, Don't consume one another with your fighting. How many of you know that that happens? When we constantly bicker and backbite and fight each other, the only thing that's really going to happen is we're going to consume one another. We're going to chew each other up. And this is not healthy for the church. Paul is not only advocating uh, the preservation of unity, but he also provides the tools and the concepts necessary for the task at hand. And the tools that he has given us so far, the tools that Jesus has given us so far, the tools that the Bible repeatedly gives us, is grace, love, and new life, right? Grace, love, and the concept of new life. With Paul's help, though, we have, uh, we have also begun to discover what it looks like to preserve unity and celebrate the difference among us. To preserve God's world-changing social experiment, what was that? The church, right? We've learned how to do this. We've learned how to bring unlikes and difference to the same table, to share life with this new kind of family. We've also recognized that when we do this, when we operate in love, grace, and new life, when we do those things, we actually show the world what love, justice, peace, reconciliation, and life together are designed by God to be. The world needs an example, church. And sadly, I think that they're finding that example Anywhere but the church in today's world. Today we take a look at one last question, and that question is, what does it take to thrive in this? Not just survive. How many of you feel like that's what your life is marked by? Just survival, right? How many of you would like it to become thriving? Yes, same for your Christian life, I'm sure, right? And so we want to move beyond surviving into thriving, and so we need to know how to do that. And God's answer to this question is simple. We thrive as a celebration of difference when we walk according to the Spirit, submitting to His work inside of our lives. We thrive because of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? We thrive because of the Holy Spirit. Now, that sounds simple. But it's not, right? And it's not simple because we've made a mess of our understanding of the Holy Spirit. We have confused everything that he does, everything that he's supposed to be about in our lives, and we've made it a muddled mess. We've done with the Holy Spirit the same thing we've done with love and the same thing we've done with faith. We've misdefined it and we've mystified it, right? Love is this ooey-gooey thing. Now, love is really tangible, It's patient. It's kind. doesn't envy. doesn't boast, right? Faith. Faith is the uh, choice to believe in something you know is not true. Nope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And the Holy Spirit is there to make you get goosebumps. No, that's actually not what he's here for. He's here for something far bigger than that. Does that mean you won't get goosebumps when he does something? Nah, you might, that's fine, but that's not his, his primary goal. Today, I hope that you'll walk away with a, uh, a bigger truth when it comes to God's Spirit. This is, this is what I hope you'll know, that he is far more approachable and far more attainable than previously thought. So what has the Holy Spirit come to do? We're going to take a trip through the Scriptures real quick, and we're going to look at what the Spirit of God has come to do, Okay. And then we're going to break apart a couple of notions that have been fed to us that are just not true. And guess what? The ones that are not true are the actual ones that divide the church. So here is the importance of learning right things. When you know the right thing, when you understand a truth, you can stop fighting. You can doesn't mean you will. But you can stop fighting because you can look to a passage of Scripture that says, this is what the Spirit of God does. But when all you believe is a bunch of hocus pocus and a lot of things that you were taught, then you just set yourself apart from other people and say, I'm right, they're wrong, and we continue to be divided. In Jesus' words in John 14, uh, verses 16 and 17, here's what he says to his apostles. He said, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper, right? I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will abide in you. The very first thing that we need to know about the Holy Spirit, is that he came not just as a helper, but as another helper. Isn't that amazing, right? Uh, My Father is going to send you another helper. Who was the first helper? Jesus. Jesus was walking with his apostles, and he was helping them. He was showing them the truth. When they were lost, when it came to parables and ideas, when it came to concepts about God, they sought him, and he said, let me explain it to you. And he gave them the truth. He was their helper. The other helper is going to be the Holy Spirit. And what this implies is that he is going to do the same things that Jesus did. He's going to walk with us. He's going to teach us. He's going to explain things to us. He's going to help us. Quite literally, a helper, right? So he is a helper. That's the the Holy Spirit. The second thing, he's going to abide in us, not merely with us. Okay, he's going to abide in us, not merely with us. I love that last line, verse 17. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. This spirit that the world did not know, they didn't know because they didn't recognize Jesus. Jesus was the one with them, right? And they didn't recognize the spirit's movement in that moment. But the beauty is that once Jesus goes away, the spirit, the helper, the new helper is going to come, and he's going to abide in his people. So the answer to the question, what has the Holy Spirit come to do, is that the Holy Spirit has come to continue the help that Jesus began, leading us into truth and righteousness and all those things, and he is never going to leave us because he's in us. That's what the Bible says. Just that simple, right? John goes on, or Jesus goes on in John 14, 26, and says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, just in case we're confused about who we're talking about, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said. This is another example of where context matters. So who was Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his apostles, right? Right? And so what does he say to them? He says, he is going to teach you all things. It does not necessarily mean the Holy Spirit has come to teach all y'all all things. And the reason why I think that that's important is because sometimes we think that we have some sort of inside track with the Holy Spirit, and then we start to believe a bunch of nonsense that we think he's told us that contradicts what the Bible says listen, if you went to a third world country and you found a, a, a tribe in the middle of nowhere that nobody had ever heard before and they came to you and said, we know of Jesus and we heard his Holy Spirit and he told us there's another way to the Father except his Son. They would be wrong. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what you claim about the Holy Spirit. It is either true because it's backed up by the truth that the Holy Spirit already did teach or it's not true at all. And this is a challenge for us. This is a real challenge. We're going to get into something here in a second where we, where we think that the Spirit of God is just going to give us everything we need to say in every moment that we have, which is just a misunderstanding of God's Word. What I want you guys to know is that the Spirit of God was there to teach these disciples and apostles all things and to bring to remembrance everything Jesus said. And you know what we see in the recordings of the gospel and the epistles? We see these words. We see words like, and as Jesus said. Why? Because the Spirit of God brought to remembrance all that Jesus taught them. And guess how we know what Jesus taught? Because that same Spirit inspired the Word of God. And He gave us these truths so that we might walk in them. So He's a teacher. He's a reminder. He's a helper. This is all beautiful for us, right? We are a part of this story because that's that's what He has done. He has given us truth. John 16, 7-11, Jesus says this, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. There's not one person who thinks that's a good idea, Jesus. But it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. We like you as a helper, Jesus, but he goes on. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And this is where I want you to track with it. It's amazing, because it says he's going to convict the world, but I want you to follow who is being talked to in these next lines. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Who is they? The world, right? That's they. That wouldn't be the apostles or the disciples. But look at the next line. Because they do not believe me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Who is you? The disciples, probably the world too, but the disciples here, and I'm going to explain each one of these in just a second. And then the third one, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. You see, the Holy Spirit is a helper, a teacher, a reminder, and he is a convictor. He is the one who is convicting the world of sin. The Holy Spirit actually doesn't need you to convict the world of sin. It does not mean that you don't preach the gospel which might convict the world of sin. But the Holy Spirit is here to convict the world of sin, right? That's his job. That's what he has come to do. That's one of the ways he helps us. So we need to to allow God to be God in that way. So that's the first one. The second one, uh, he is here to... Uh, Because he is here to convict the world. Uh, And then it says concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. What does this even mean? I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Well, the idea is that he is going to be a seal. The Spirit of God is going to be a seal of promise to those who actually belong to God. We're going to see this in just a second in Romans. He's going to be a seal of promise to those who belong to God. So why must Jesus go away? Because the Spirit of God has to come to make this thing true. He has to come and be our seal. So he confirms that we are actually God's righteous ones. Remember what we talked about last week? We are new creations. How do I know you're a new creation? couple of things, but it starts with the one who empowers you. I know you're a new creation because the Spirit of God dwells in you. What he produces or what is to be produced in your life is another matter. But you must have the Spirit of God in order for this to be true. And so concerning righteousness, our righteousness, Jesus goes away and sends the Spirit. Because we no longer see him, but we have his Spirit. The third one, concerning judgment. Because the verdict has been passed concerning the devil. The verdict has been passed concerning the Antichrist or the spirit of the Antichrist, whichever way you want to interpret it. But the idea is the verdict has been passed. Jesus has won. Death has been defeated. Amen? These are really important ideas. John 16, verses 13 through 15. We're going to keep pushing with the spirit of God. But when he, the spirit of truth, by the way, this is just a synonym for the spirit of God. Why is he the spirit of truth? Who is Jesus? The way, the truth, and the life, right? Well, the spirit of the truth, the spirit of truth comes, and he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, that is Jesus speaking, and he will take of mine and will disclose it You. He will call to remembrance all that I've taught you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that He takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So, who is the Spirit of God now? He's a helper, He's a teacher, He's a reminder, He's the Spirit of truth. He is giving us everything that is true. And every time, church, we open our Bibles, we are reading what that Spirit inspired to these different authors. However you understand inspiration is, is actually largely irrelevant. What I do want you to know is that the Spirit of God has breathed out these words. All scripture is God breathed. And he has breathed out these scriptures for what? For our help. For our teaching. For our, uh, you know, for our guidance in truth in every way. Okay. It also says that the Spirit of God is going to disclose what is to come. And I'm fascin- fascinated by that. Of course, I'm hoping he'll just tell us, the end is coming right after Easter Sunday next week, and you'll be with me in paradise. I I was hoping that that would be the case. The only reason for that is because I ache everywhere anyway, (laughs) right? Otherwise, I like my life, so, but anyway, so, so this is what the Spirit of God has come to do. Now, what have we been taught, though, about the Spirit of God that is untrue? And remember this, church, this is where the points of division happen. What is this series about? It's a celebration of difference. It's about a unity among diversity. It's about us coming together and us loving God together, even though we're red, yellow, black, and white. Even though we have every difference under the sun, we are one in King Jesus. Every dividing wall that once separated people groups has been torn down by the cross, and we've been given life, and what do we do? We rebuild every stinking wall we can find like, ah, men and women, rebuild that wall. You guys are different, right? Jew and Gentile, build that wall. You guys are different. We do this in every way, Catholic and Protestant in every denomination under the sun. We've built these walls. We've reestablished walls in place of what Jesus broke down. So what have we been taught that's not true? First, the notion that there are spirit-filled and non-spirit-filled Christians. This is a load of dog crap, and I'm tired of hearing it. And I have no problem saying it. You cannot find in the Bible that there are spirit-filled Christians and non-spirit-filled Christians. It simply is not true. The idea causes massive division within the church. In, in so much as that churches go so far as to advertise, well, we're a spirit-filled church. Well, we all are, so thank you very much. Right? This is a very huge problem. How do I know this is true? Let's read the Bible. Romans 8, 9-11. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you do not belong to Him. Some say, Nathan, hold on a second. Let's mince words and make something up. That says Spirit of Christ. That doesn't say the Holy Spirit. Let's read how many references are synonymous in this passage. Number one, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Number two, the Spirit of Christ. Continuing on in the verse, the next one. But the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, He raised Christ Jesus. Number four, through His Spirit who dwells in you... It's the same guy every time. Please do not miss this. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you do not belong to Him because what? He's the seal of promise of your redemption. But the church fights about it. Church fights about it. I got to go to some special service and get me the Spirit of God so that I can actually be a real Christian. I'm sorry that you've been lied to, but you've been lied to. The second you said, I believe in you, King Jesus, he dwells inside of you. You want me to prove it again? Let's prove it again by Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Done. Now, does that mean that... You are fully empowered for everything that you need to do for the rest of your life through God's Spirit. Nope. My dad used to always tell me when we were growing up, when we were growing up. Yes, I guess we were both growing up at the same time. But, but when I was growing up and he was a dad, right? He would say that God is as vast as the ocean and I am as, uh, I am as limited as a thimble, right? Right. This is, this is his idea. He would communicate to me. And I always struggled because I always wondered, well then can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? And then I realized, yes, and here's why. Every time I dip that thimble in the ocean, it gets fully filled. But does that mean it contains all the ocean? No, not a chance. Right? I can be full of the Holy Spirit and not have half the gifts you all have. And I'm okay with that. That just means more work for you guys, (laughs) right? That's wonderful. I like this plan, But God is as vast as an ocean. I am as limited as a thimble. I can be filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet there can be much more. And when it comes to empowerment, when it comes to uh, works of service, this is what we find in the book of Acts when people are receiving the Spirit of God for empowerment, to do great things. Paul says you should eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. How many of you actually do that? Probably not as many as you would think. Because why? Because we keep getting told all kinds of weird stuff. Right? I went to a church service and I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Therefore, I don't need anything. You're always going to need more. (laughs) Right? Like He might want to dump that old thimble out and put something new in it. I don't know. But the point is that there is something that God does the second you are born again. He fills you with his spirit. There is something else God would love to do with you all the days of your life. Empower you for anything he wants to do. He does, whether you obey or not, right? That's a different story. But this is what God has done with all of us. The spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, they dwell within us. And then I love this. The indwelling is exactly what Jesus promised in John 14, 17. But you know him because he abides with you and will abide in you. I know who God is because he dwells within me. I love the fact that because I believe in Jesus, I am sealed. So are there spirit-filled Christians and non-spirit-filled Christians? No. Are there people who are empowered for certain things that you're not? Absolutely. Perfectly fine. But what are we supposed to be? A celebration of difference. So if you're gifted in healing, and I'm gifted in whatever it is that I'm gifted in, I still haven't figured it out, right? <laughs> right? But if that's what we're gifted in, let's walk in it. We just all walk in those things. Second, uh, the idea that the Spirit of God is going to override our will Or, and and like take control of us and that's when we obey, (laughs) or the idea that God is going to give this supernatural guilt trip and you're going to do everything he said. The only person powerful enough to give a supernatural guilt trip is a mom, that's just all there is to it, (laughs) that's all there is to it, they can give a supernatural guilt trip, that's just true. I think that is their gifting by the Spirit of God. Anyway, so, so overriding one's will or some sort of supernatural guilt trip. No. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 8, look at what the scripture says. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, is that true of you, church? Yes. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Have you ever wondered what in the world that phrase, give life to your mortal bodies, was about? I mean, he's talking to living people. Like, we're going to give, Spirit's going to give life to your mortal bodies. I'm living. Paul, I'm fine, right? No. Look at the contrast of what is said. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then there's something different that's going on here. You are no longer what Jesus said before, fighting spirit versus flesh and not able to do what God has called you to do, right? Now the Spirit of God is in you, and he's even given life to your mortal body, which is dead because of sin. But he actually empowers every part of you, not just your mind to think good things, not just your heart to want good things, but he empowers your flesh to do good things. Did you know that? Which is why the scripture tells us that we are to be holy as he is holy. We're not called to something we can't do. We're called to something he's empowered us to do. So he gives life to our mortal body. And what happens when that life is animated is that we produce the fruit of the spirit. Right? With every seed that we sow inside of our life, guess what's produced? That good fruit that God talks about. The third idea is that we always have or will always be given the correct things to say. <laughs> I, I, I am so disturbed by this, and so is Mark Ryan, but I am disturbed by this, right? Mark 13, 11, I'm going to read you two passages, and then I'm going to tell you what Christians have done with these two passages. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus was talking to some people here, by the way. So, descriptive, not prescriptive. Next one, Luke 12, 11 and 12. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say you know what Christians have done with this? Pastors, they get up off their seat, they walk up, and here's the words they use. I've slaved all week over the word of God, but Jesus just changed the message on me, and I'm going to preach on something else. You know what that's code for? I did nothing this week. That's what that's code for. (laughs) Now you know. I've never said it, and you'll never hear me say it, because it's It's dog snot. Anyway, so the problem is the Bible does not say get up and the Spirit of God's just going to teach you stuff in the middle of it. You will never find the verse that says that. What you'll find is really bad interpretations of those two verses. And these people were being held in contempt, brought before courts, and guess what God said? Don't worry. We haven't had generations of Christian thought, but I'm going to make sure you're okay. You will be able to answer the questions. You will be able to defend yourself, but I will do it. Trust me. Isn't that amazing? The Bible does not say, get up and wing it. That's the problem in the church today. So what does this have to do with being a celebration of difference? The very Holy Spirit who dwells within us is the one whose fruit makes all this unity and this preservation of unity possible. The Spirit of God dwelling in us with right understanding makes unity possible. But with these weird things, we continue to stay divided. And we have the charismatics over here and the cessationists over here and everybody in between that doesn't actually understand where we are because there's too many dumb teachings out there. And so what we have to do is get back to the truth about what God is saying. We've got to humble ourselves and look at the words on the page and then trust what is true. The Spirit of God is our helper, our teacher, our reminder. He is going to lead us into all truth. He does so through the word that he inspired. And while he's doing that, he is also showing the world at large that we are his, God's righteous ones set apart. That's what the Holy Spirit came to do. That's what the Holy Spirit was helping when Jesus said he was going to help. So let's take a look at Galatians 5, 13 through 23. And I want to turn this very practical for you. Verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. Unless they think differently than you and then cast them out. No. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's an interesting deviation that Paul provides versus what Jesus said. Which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And the law hangs on those two. But Paul says the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another, because that's the result. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And if you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, and and you will not if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things that you please. But what did Jesus come to do through the Holy Spirit? Give life to your mortal body. You're no longer stuck. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then look at this. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. All of this, right? You see it all there. It really hits home in our series when we start getting into outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. First thing that we have to recognize is that Paul mixes metaphors like a madman, okay? He talks about walking by the flesh and walking by the spirit. He talks about sowing seed, right, and producing fruit. And he mixes all of these up into a point where I think we've missed the idea of what is going on here. Here is what I believe is truly happening. And I would love to have more discussions on this. But here's what I believe is happening. I believe Paul has established two kinds of fruit. I believe he has established the fruit of the flesh. He calls it the deeds of the flesh. But then he calls it the fruit of the Spirit. The reason why I believe that these are two byproducts is because these are the results of two choices. Walk by the flesh or walk by the Spirit. Do you see what I'm getting at? I believe Paul mixes those metaphors, and that leads to us being a little bit confused. But when we jump down to see how Paul writes, we can understand it better. So walking by the Spirit is actually the same concept, or would be the same concept, as planting seed. And then uh, producing fruit is what the result of that planting is. So walking according to the flesh is, again, the same concept. Now... Uh, You might look at that and say, Nathan, I I think you're the one mixing the metaphors. But here's why I think that this is true. Number one, he does tell us that if we are to practice the deeds of the flesh, we're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit, right? So this is an evident thing of a bad bad tree. And that a good tree produces only good fruit, and that's what the fruit of the Spirit is. It results in but here's why I think that this is really important when we look at passages other passages in the scripture such as John, James 1 14 and 15 here's what we read it says but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust what is it that's carrying us away in this passage our own what Lust, right? But look at what it conceives. Look at the fruit it bears and compare this to what we saw in Galatians. It says, then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So the idea is that our lust is what drives us. That then conceives something. Our lust would definitely conceive immorality. Our lust would conceive impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Our lust drives us to this, and James says so, right? And so we're driven to this, and we're going to produce all of this fruit in our life. And Paul says, that's the sign of a bad tree. And that won't be in the kingdom of heaven. However, the other side is not that we walk around sowing love and joy and peace and patience. Those are fruit. These are a byproduct of something. And so what are we sowing? We're actually sowing obedience, faith. We're walking in every way by faith. If God says, you should love your neighbor as yourself, you're like, okay, I have no idea. I'm going to do that. I'm going to see what happens. And the result of those actions will be that they feel loved. That's what will happen. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. They're going to feel those things. They're going to experience those things. Every one of us is called to plant seed in our life. The choice is, are you going to sow the seed of the flesh or sow the seed of the spirit? And if we're to live as a celebration of difference, if we're to live preserving unity, we must be a people who sow seeds of faith. We must be a people who sow seeds of faith. We have to change how we operate in all of this. So we are to be these people, and we're not to be the other people. We have to understand that that any time we produce the fruit of anger, disputes, or dissensions, we're actually revealing that we're not walking by faith. We're not walking by the Spirit, mixed metaphors. We're not planting the right seed, as I shared before. But when the fruit of our lives is love and joy and peace and patience, that's when we know we're doing this. So here's an interesting thing to think through is the church that you know and i'm not talking about pierce point per se but it can include pierce point is the church that you know marked by love joy peace patience kindness gentleness goodness self-control or is the church you know marked by dissensions envy strife backbiting fighting all of this other stuff what would you say the world would say about the church Do they think we're loving, gracious, self-controlled people? I need you to answer the question, guys. Yes or no? No. Yes. Some yeses, some noes. What is the one criticism the world gives the church constantly? We're hypocrites. It's funny. No prompting necessary. We're hypocrites. Why would we be hypocrites? Because we claim to be a people who love and we don't. The world sees us as divided. Do you think denominations prove that we're loving and a celebration of difference and united? It doesn't prove anything. It proves the exact opposite, that we're a mess. You see, the fruit that we're bearing proves where we are, and that is that the church today is not walking by the very spirit that is within us. And that's a shame. Meanwhile, we're all just fighting over who's got miracle gifts and all this other stuff. How about we just try walking by faith every day? How about we just love our neighbor as ourselves? How about we just obey God? I'm not suggesting that's where it stops. I'm saying let's at least start there and see where this actually takes us. Church, in week one, we asked the question, what is the church so sp- supposed to be? And the conclusion we came to was it was a celebration of difference, a unity among diversity. In week two, we learned about our need to show one another grace. We looked at the grace that was shown to C.S. Lewis and the grace that was shown to the Apostle Paul from Ananias. In week three, we defined love according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 within its proper context. One that is actually fighting for unity, right? A love that is fighting for unity. In last week's message, it was a reminder or a a call to remind ourselves that we are new creatures and that we should treat each other rightly. And today, as we look towards Easter, as we look towards a risen King Jesus, we should look towards one who rose on the third day, who ascended to the right hand of the Father and who did exactly what he said he would do, which is give us the seal of promise through his Holy Spirit. Church, we need to be everything that God calls us to be, a celebration of difference. We need to be a people of grace. We need to be a people of love. We need to be a new creation. And we need to be empowered by the Spirit of God that dwells within us. Amen? If we're going to do this, we rely on Him. If we do this, we're going to rely on Him. We're not going to sit here and rely on uh, uh, the, the most exquisite and best teaching, best understanding, best ideas. Those are important things. Like I said, bad teachings caused a lot of strife. But we're going to be a people of faith. We're going to be a people walking after the Spirit that is, that is pushing us in that direction or drawing us in that direction. So as we wrap up this series and as we look to Easter, I hope that you can see the big vision that we have uh, for a church. And that big vision is to be a family. We have gotten this so many times. Just recently, uh, a funeral for Chester Redmond uh, that Barney uh, facilitated. And it was it was a really awesome opportunity to minister to people that we just don't know, right? Just reach out to them and care for them and love on them and all of that. And we had a dinner awake afterwards, and we, we had that here and celebrated them. And many people from different small groups helped and shared with them. But one of the things that Chester's son said, which was so fascinating, was, you guys, are, you guys are really a family here, aren't you? Yeah, we are, with all its dysfunction. But yes, we are. And that's We didn't say that to him. We didn't say that to him. But we are absolutely a family. But this family has so much diversity in it. And all of it is welcome, and all of it is necessary as we move forward. Amen. Let's be that to the world. Let's let let everybody who comes in and sees us truly say, wow, you guys really are a family. You really are what you say you are. That's what our goal is, right? That's the vision of Pierce Point Community Church. That's what we're shooting for. It's going to take a lot of work to get there. But we're going to strive for it every day of our life. Amen.